You are about to listen to a sermon from Common Ground Church in Rapid City, South Dakota. We hope to see you in person. For more information, visit commongroundcma.org. So, uh, we're going to be in the book of, you know, what do you think of, what would be the last sermon you'd ever want to preach? You know, like, what's the thing that you really, really, really are looking forward to? Zephaniah always comes to mind, right? Like, that's really the one. Yeah, Zephaniah. Woo! Yeah! That's what I've got today is Zephaniah. So try to find Zephaniah at Triple Dog Daria. It is in your Bible. Uh, it is in the Old Testament, which is sometime after Genesis and before Malachi. Okay, so that's your boundaries. Go ahead and try and find it. Um, but Zephaniah is where we're going to be today because uh, this is what we're doing for the summer. Is we are preaching a summer in the minors. We're preaching about all of the minor, the books of minor prophecy. Somebody asks, what makes a minor prophet a minor prophet? And basically, it's the amount of words. It's the, the amount of the length of the message, um, and it has to do with how um, how many times that they were you know, used to prophesy God's word. That type of thing. Um, it's not like minor leagues, just so you know. So they're not lesser than, they are just shorter. That's all there is to it. Okay. Um, today we're going to be looking at Zephaniah, a fantastic book. Um, if you didn't know this, what we've been doing is as we're walking through this, we're going to, in a little while, we're going to pray, play a video that's going to give you the culture and the context of the whole book. Uh, and then I'm going to focus in on kind of one passage that as I was studying through, like this is the one I really wanted to communicate to you. Um, but I would encourage you to read the entirety of the book on your own. Zephaniah is three chapters. It would take you all of seven minutes to read through it. So go ahead and read it on your own um, after church, and it's going to be a fantastic thing. Um, by just way of announcement, because I do want to, uh, I do want to make sure that I'm um, that I'm communicating a bunch of different things. One is next week uh, you have the privilege, we have the privilege, Common Ground has the privilege of uh, welcoming in Jonathan Wiggins. Um, actually, his name is pronounced Wiggins, but you can feel free to pronounce it Mr. Wiggins when you see him. Uh, he is the district superintendent and he watches over this church and he and the governing board have been on this process of putting things in place and getting things in order to look towards what does the future of Common Ground look like. Anybody want to give a very brief update on that from the board? How's that process going? These guys want to know. Go ahead, Jake. Brief. So we had a meeting last week. Um, we kind of worked through It's called a pastor profile. So it's... Uh, it's um, when the pastor turns this way that, and take a picture. Looking, yeah, it's yeah, just, you know, mugshot after mug. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's different traits that uh, us as a church um, are looking for in a pastor, and it's like ranking 1 through 10. And then uh, we're also building a profile of what our church looks like um, from the congregation to the facilities and our vision. And that is what we'll hand off to uh, potential candidates to, to look at. So... Um, it's been moving pretty good. I was really nervous about it, but our last meeting went really well, and so now we're just tweaking uh, the documents uh, and getting them ready to hand off to Jonathan. Yeah, and so far, from what I understand, you get a group of these people together. There's like 80 of you guys working on this. You get a group of eight people together, and you'd expect a little bit of disagreement. Not so. 
it seems like they're all really unified in how they see things, which is really, really good. And I think God's using that. So just so you guys know, there is a process. People are watching out for this church. They are working hard for this church. You do have a group of trusted people you trust that represent this church that is building this pastor profile and all that type of stuff. So if you have any questions or comments or cares or concerns or any of that type of stuff, you can talk to Jake, Nick, James, uh, Sally, Chris. Um, yeah, you can bring anything to these guys, and they would be happy to listen to you and happy to give you input So, uh, or give you some response. All right, announcement's over. Um, I wonder if we can do this. Christina, how, uh, how skilled are you feeling today? Okay, find that Hanson's video. Pull that. Don't No sound. We don't need it. Just pull that Hanson video back up, and you're ready to pause. We are the Hansons. No, no sound. This is Kendra. Um, okay, so we pause it right there. <laughs> All right, that didn't go as I had planned. Um, okay, there you Hey, okay, I want you to look at these guys. Just look at them real deeply. There you go, just stare at them. For, let those faces be etched into your memory. Um, what do you see in these guys? What do you see here? We listen to their video and their story. What do you see? I see that they can't see very well. <laughs> <laughs> Vision challenge. Go ahead, Kathy. <laughs> Determination. Determination. Um, yeah, absolutely. Uh, what, they, what they don't tell you is um, Brad, uh, maybe that was in the video, Brad had a bout with cancer. And uh, yeah, he had cancer. I mean, he's a younger than me, just so you guys know. He's about three, I think he's in his late 30s. And he's already battled and beat cancer. And then... I mean, they're just a determined couple. Okay, what else do you see? The team. Ginger. What's that? A team. A ginger and a team. <laughs> Very good. Yes. A team. Yeah. Okay. You see normal people. Yeah. I see ridiculously smart people. Actually, they are normal people. But these guys. Uh, so those of you engineers in the crowd, these guys are uh, actually one is a mechanical and one's a civil. Okay. Um, yeah, everybody shakes. So there's people shaking their head and some going yeah and some like eh, I ain't doing any of that right. Um, but engineers, right? Engineers. God uses engineers. Now, I'm gonna just preface that with this. Okay. So these guys are not just. Not just um, missionaries, they're not just engineers. These guys are my friends. And they are my answer to years of prayer. Okay, I prayed for years, for four years, that God would send us some sort of connection on the mission field with engineers. Four years, prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed. And then all of a sudden, four years after praying... I get this note from these guys. These are my friends from Green Bay, Wisconsin. We were in a small group together. They, like Winter said, they got us into board games, gave us our new favorite addiction. Um, and like these guys are amazing people. But I get this letter from them four years after praying, and they go, "Hey, by the way, we're going to go work with Engineering Ministries International in South Africa." Actually, they were tossed up between a few fields. And so all of a sudden you see that after four years, right, like God provides this amazing little opportunity and it happens to be somebody that I know. Well, the reason I point this out is I just want you to know, you guys, Common Ground Church and visitors to Common Ground Church, this is the way that God works. God calls people all over this place. He moves them and he shifts them and he puts them in places like South Africa, or Sewer Falls, or like um, Brookings, South Dakota, or or Toulouse, France, or and you name it. God moves 
people to the places where He wants them so that His light can shine in places where it needs to shine in the way it needs to shine specifically. So He raised up these missionaries that are my friends, that are engineers, and He sends them to South Africa to go and support the works of ministry that's happening. That is a a specified tool for a specified job. Now... Look at the people around you. Just look at the weirdos that you're sitting next to. I do this many weeks. Look at them. Stare at gazing at their face. Gaze into their face. Etch that face into their mind. Now, what do you see? What do you see? Do you see a tool used by God to shape your life? Some of you just looked at your spouse's face. That's the number one tool God has used to shape my life. Some of you looked into a friend's face. Don't, don't ever doubt that this is how God works. That this is how God works. He is knitting together this tapestry. And tapestry is the best way you can say it. Thread by thread by thread by thread. And some threads are dark and some threads are short and some threads are long and some threads are bright and some threads are frayed and some threads have knots in them. But he waves, weaves all of this stuff together and at the end of it is going to be this beautiful declaration of who he is and how he works. And you're sitting right next to those threads right now. And so as we leave this place, as I get to preach this final message, um, no, you have to know this. You have to know that your threads are connected to me. My weird thread got slammed next to your weird thread. And we will always be connected. That is the way that God works. And we will be back every couple of years to come and bug you. We have to, we're required to. We have to come back here, bug you guys every two years. Um, so you're going to see us again and again and again. We'll be sending pictures and maybe even doing some Skype calls. We'll see what happens, okay? But that's, uh, you know, I can, you can Skype me into the mess, into the service and have my giant head right there. <laughs> um, but also, please remember that, and a missionary friend of mine once said this, that uh, being a missionary, or we're not actually missionaries, we're going to be pastors, but going into a foreign field, going into a different thing, a different setting, is oftentimes like sending a climber down a, down a cave in order to rescue something that's underneath there. You need good people holding the rope. Okay? So continue to hold the rope. Pray for us, please. Um, Jonas has never done this before, transitioned away from anything in a way that he can remember. Creedon gets to go to um, a boarding school in Germany in eight weeks. Winter gets the blessing of staying in Brookings, South Dakota. And here the three of us, Laura and, and myself and Jonas, are going to be inundated in French culture and language. And it's going to be a, a tough transition. So pray for us, please. All right, that's the last time I'm going to talk about me. Wait, no. First note here. What's wrong with humans? Anybody? Give me an answer to that. What's wrong with humans? They're stupid. I heard one of the back of the step. They stupid. <laughs> that comes straight from your mom, doesn't it? That came from King Solomon. Yeah, great. He just done bibled me. Go ahead, Creed. What's wrong with humans? Literally everything. Literally everything. We're the one organism on the planet that actually produces massive amounts of waste that does not naturally get reabsorbed into the ecosystem. That was not the answer I was expecting, but it's a valid and very... Did you guys catch that? That was crazy. Yeah, that was awesome. Okay, go ahead. 
selfish, and that's why we're, we're really selfish, and we don't care about our waste, right? Like, did you catch that moment? Like, Anthony, that is an answer I do not care about. And it's like we're like throwing wrappers everywhere, right? Yeah. So we, these guys have talked enough. Anything from the upper deck? Are you guys all asleep? Okay, good. Yeah. <laughs> Humans are the only species that die to trying to take pictures of themselves. That die trying to take, yeah, it's kind of true. Um, I heard, what, this is my favorite Brad Wynn quote, if anybody you know Brad Wynn. My favorite Brad Wynn quote. Selfies are just you ruining nature with your face. <laughs> It's a great quote. Right? And Lori said they're accident prone. That's what humans, what's wrong with humans. I think that's a little bit of a situation specific thing. Um, I don't know if you've thought about this, but one of the problems of, with humanity is we, we live hindsight only. I don't know if you ever thought about that. But we live hindsight only, yet you desperately wish to be able to live in the future. Humans, have this funny thing in your mind. You can actually do this right now. Go ahead, close your eyes. What are you doing this afternoon? Anybody? What are you doing? Close. Keep your eyes closed. What are you doing this afternoon? Just shut it up. Barbecue. Okay, going to a barbecue. I'm going to go home and take a nap. I think I heard. Working. Working. I'm going to go home and regret coming to church. You know, all that stuff. Okay, so you got this in your head? Okay, go ahead and open your eyes. Were you picturing in your head what you're going to look like in the future? Yeah. No, everyone's like, no. Most of the guys were, just so you know, because guys are visual. But that is, we can actually take our brain and we can begin to plan into the future and begin to build what the future is potentially going to look like. And you can actually take your brain and you can do about 45, 50 different scenarios building what the future is going to look like. And some of you who are high anxiety can do that times 90 and build every single situation that could possibly go wrong and focus on them like there's like they're actually going to happen, right? And the anxiety builds, and the anxiety builds. But the funny thing is, is humans only live hindsight. You only know what happened, not what's going to happen. We don't. We can't predict the future. We can't control the future. You can't stop the future. We make movies about trying to know the future, change the future, influence the future, or stop the future. And what always happens? It always goes wrong. Even in our movies, we can't get it right, even though we have the power to create all of that. Yet, we also serve a God who calls us into things in the future. We serve a God who says that we should exercise faith. That we oftentimes have to like look at the gap between what we know and what God is telling us to do and just trust that it's all going to work out without the benefit of hindsight. Without the benefit of being able to see 2020 in the rearview mirror. See, here's the deal though. I, I love this about the scriptures, and I, I don't actually get to preach about this all that often because sometimes I think it can get weird. But here's the deal. God has not simply left us to flounder in hindsight all the time. Although he may not give us details, right? Every single minute detail of what the future is going to look like. He has revealed to us what the future will be. Not details, not, not all of the little things, not how is that going to relate with me, how, not, not my family scenario and my, economic, uh, and my economic safety, none of that stuff. But he has declared to us what the future will bring. And this is a really powerful thing. Because here's what I want you to know. The big takeaway for the day, the big takeaway for the day is I want you to know the end of everything, the end, is way better than you can ever hope or imagine. 
the end of everything, the end that God is bringing this place to is way bigger and way better than you can ever hope or dream or imagine. And I think that's really important for us because, unfortunately, in our culture, we can begin to believe the lie that God's future is not nearly as good as our present. That what God calls us to when He promises things is not nearly as good as what we're experiencing now. That He doesn't actually know what's going to be happening in the future. He doesn't actually have good purposes. But I need you to know, and the book of Zephaniah is going to do a great job, I need you to know that the end is way bigger and more beautiful and better than you could ever hope or imagine or dream. And so we're going to learn the book of Zephaniah today. Here comes the video. It's going to give you all the context. The book of the prophet Zephaniah. Zephaniah lived during the final decades of the southern kingdom of Judah. It was when King Josiah had attempted to bring about real change in the land by removing idols and restoring the temple to the worship of Israel's God alone. But Israel was just too far gone. Worshiping other gods was too entrenched in the life of the people. And it ended up that Josiah's pride led him to a tragic death on the battlefield as he set Jerusalem on a collision course with Babylon. And Zephaniah, he had seen all of this coming. For years, he had been warning the leaders of Jerusalem. And this little book is a collection of his poetry summarizing his message. It's designed to have three main parts. The first focuses on the day of the Lord's judgment coming on Judah and Jerusalem. The second part is about the day of the Lord's judgment on the nations and Jerusalem again. And then the third section explores the hope that remains for the nations and for Jerusalem on the other side of God's judgment. The first section opens with the shocking reversal of Genesis 1. So God's good, ordered world is going to descend back into disorder and darkness and chaos, becoming uninhabitable once again. And as you keep reading, you realize Zephaniah is developing all of these powerful poetic images to describe how Jerusalem's world is going to end. All of the city's institutions for worshiping the gods of the Canaanites will be destroyed. All the leaders who perpetrated injustice, all the economic centers where crooked lending and borrowing took place, all of it will be gone along with the city's walls. Zephaniah develops these almost apocalyptic images to show the significance of what's going to happen. It all refers to a great army that is coming to take out Jerusalem. Now it's interesting that Zephaniah never mentions whose army God's going to use to bring this judgment. Now we know from the other prophets, Micah or Habakkuk, that it's Babylon. But Zephaniah never mentions that. And it's because he wants to highlight God's role in orchestrating the rise and fall of the city. And actually that's what gives Zephaniah hope. Not that Jerusalem as a whole can avoid its fate. But in the closing poem of section 1, he calls on anyone in Jerusalem who would seek the Lord. And he says these will make up the faithful remnant, the people who could be spared if they repent. In the second section, Zephaniah widens his focus to include the nations around Judah. So the Philistines, or Moabites, the Ammonites, even the Assyrians. He accuses all of them of corruption and violence and arrogance, and he predicts that all of them will fall before Babylon too. And what's shocking is that the final people group targeted in this section are the Israelites in Jerusalem. It's like the leaders and prophets and priests of Israel are so corrupt and violent, so estranged from their God, that he doesn't even recognize them as his people anymore. And so this section ends with God's final decision. He says he's going to gather up all the nations, including Jerusalem, and pour out his burning indignation. 
God's justice becomes this consuming fire that devours evil from the land, which is really intense. And so the following line that brings us into the final part of the book comes as a total surprise. We discover that this burning fire of divine judgment is not aimed at destroying people. Rather, its purpose is to purify the nations, including Jerusalem. So the section begins as God says that he's going to heal and transform the rebellious nations into one unified family. And that after being purified, they're going to turn from their evil and call upon the name of the Lord. These images point to the fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham all the way back in Genesis 12, that God would find a way to bless the nations and Jerusalem as well. The conclusion of the book focuses on the restoration of the city at the center of the nations. God's presence is there in the restored city, along with that faithful remnant that's been humbled and transformed by God's mercy. And they're called to sing and rejoice. And then in the striking image, we're told that God is a poet who wants to sing too. Your God will live among you, and he will celebrate you with songs of joy, Zephaniah says. The closing poem of the book ends with these very powerful images about God gathering up into his family the outcast and the poor and the broken, where he exalts them into a place of honor. And that's how the book ends. This little book of Zephaniah, it contains some of the most intense images of God's justice and love that you find anywhere in the prophets. His justice is about his passion to protect and rescue his world from the horror of human evil and violence. God won't tolerate the horrible things that humans do to each other and to his world. But he brings his justice in order to restore, in order to create a world where people can flourish in safety and peace because of his love. And so Zephaniah forces us to hold together these two aspects of God's character, his justice and his love. And he wants us to discover that together they contain the future hope of our world. And that's what the book of Zephaniah is all about. There you go. Watching that video would have taken just about as long as reading the book. So if you can watch the video, you can read the book. And then I would encourage you to watch the video again, because it makes much more sense once you do that. Um, Where we're going to be today, though, is we're going to just zoom in on Zephaniah chapter 3. And uh, sometimes I feel wrong about this because it almost feels like, you know, picking and choosing. But, you know, I I did want to give you the full picture. But what I want you to see today is this incredible picture of who Zephaniah declares God to be in chapter 3. And so here we go. We're going to read chapter 3 starting in verse 9, and we're going to read to the end of the chapter. And so what God's talking about here is what is the last day going to look like? What is this promise? When I come, when God comes to fulfill his promises, what does it look like? And here we go. Then will I purify the lips of the peoples, that all of them may call on the name of the Lord and serve him shoulder to shoulder. And just right off the bat, right? Like you should be seeing this and feeling this. God is going to begin to right the wrongs and and bring unity where we get to serve shoulder to shoulder. Now, I don't know about you, but when you look at the American landscape of what Western Christianity looks like, are we serving shoulder to shoulder? Oftentimes, we don't want anybody's shoulder touching us. Verse 10, from beyond the rivers of Cush, my worshipers, my scattered people will bring me offerings. On that day, you will not be put to shame for all the wrongs you have done to me, because I will remove from this city those who rejoice in their pride. Never again will you be haughty on my holy hill, but I will leave within within you the meek and humble who trust in the name of the Lord. 
The remnant of Israel will do no wrong. They will speak no lies, nor will deceit be found in their mouths. They will eat and lie down, and no one will make them afraid. Sing, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O Israel. Be glad and rejoice with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away your punishment. He has turned back your enemy. The Lord, the King of Israel, is with you. Never again will you fear any harm. On that day, they will say to Jerusalem, Do not fear, O Zion. Do not let your hands hang limp. The Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He will take great delight in you. He will quiet you with His love. He will rejoice over you with singing. The sorrows of the appointed feasts I will remove from you. They are a burden and a reproach to you. At that time I will deal with all who oppressed you. I will rescue the lame and gather those who have been scattered. I will give them praise and honor in every land where they were put to shame. At that time I will gather you. At that time I will bring you home. I will give you honor and praise among all the peoples of the earth when I restore your fortunes before your very eyes, says the Lord. We're going to just take this kind of verse by verse, not verse by verse, but chunk by chunk. Where he starts off here is, these are the promises that God is going to do. And in verses 9 and 10, the way that he starts off here is he says, hey, in 9 and 10, God is going to gather the scattered. He says quite often in here and repeatedly in 9 and 10, uh, I will purify the lips from the people. They will serve shoulder to shoulder from beyond the rivers of Cush. My worshipers when scattered people will bring me offerings. God's goal in the end of everything is to stop all of the divisions that this world world has set up. And I'm not talking about the political agenda of a giant wall or anything like that, although that's a great metaphor and a great representation. But we have border lines, boundary lines, North Rapid, West Rapid, East Rapid, all of that stuff. We have set those up. We have. Not they have. We have. We have. And the church's job is to, just like God is going to, to try to tear those divisions down. The only way you can tear divisions down, you can't tear them down with might. You have to tear them down with humility, with love, with sacrifice, with service. Has anybody ever tried to tear down a wall you put up with them with pride and arrogance and violence and maybe some yelling and screaming? I have never once. I have won many arguments. But every time I've won an argument, oftentimes I've lost a person. Because humility and love brings walls down. If we do not love other people, we will continue to build these walls. We will continue to build the walls. And you can't tear the walls down before you've loved the people. And he continues here. In fact, he even says, like, this is how it's all kind of tied together. Verse 11 through 13, he talks about how on that day, You will not be put to shame. I will leave within you, he says in verse 13. I will leave within you the meek and the humble. And I will remove the prideful and the arrogant. The ones who will stand behind their walls saying, This is me. Go ahead and try to get in. I dare you. God will leave the humble here. That's what God's end is. Is to get rid of it. Somebody said it. What's wrong with humanity? We're prideful and we're selfish and we waste and all that stuff. God is going to get rid of. That is what He is doing. Is getting rid of the prideful people by getting rid of pride. What is the first thing you have to do in order to come to Jesus? Bow your knee. The first thing you have to do to come to Jesus is bow your knee. What is the rest of the walk of Christianity? A continual bowing the knee 
to Jesus and His life and His calling. But then Zephaniah continues. He says in verse 14 through 16, that there will be no more fear amongst us, that there will be no more fear of that which harms us. There will be no more fear of the nations that are coming to war against us. There will be no more fear at all because that's God's job in verse 14 through 16. He's going to clear fear out of the room. Fear is a great motivator. Anybody here afraid of anything? Raise your hand if you're afraid of something. Just one thing, anything. Okay, anybody want to tell me what it is? Because for me it's bats. What's that? Heights, snakes, spiders. What, Jada? Zip lining. I thought you were going to say my dad because you were just kind of leaning in. I'm afraid of your dad. Um, yeah, so... <laughs> Why wouldn't you be? Look at him. So, but, but what God's talking about here is not some of those healthy fears, right? I should be afraid of snakes because they bite and they will harm and all of that stuff. That's a healthy fear. What he's talking about here is this fear that is a result of the violence and the selfishness that this world is permeated with. The fear that is the bigger nation coming to war against the other one. The fear of losing economic security. The fear... My goodness, this country peddles fear like you would not believe. Does it not? How many times have you heard an advertisement for your uh, internet security and for making sure you have the little home camera things and making sure that you uh, have lock devices on everything because it's all about being afraid. Why? Because that's a primal instinct inside of the human is to be afraid. And what God is going to do is remove that stuff. And remove the root of it. Not the th- He's removing the things that we naturally are afraid of. But then he continues here in verse 17. And this one's my favorite. And Tim Mackey highlighted this in the video here. The Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He will take great delight in you. He will, he will quiet you with His love. He will rejoice over you with singing. Now this is the reason why I love this. Like this, it was almost just this verse. The sermon was almost just this verse. Like I'm a music person. I love music. Those of you who've been with me a long time, you know this. I, music, it runs through me. I have been touched deep in the soul by a beautiful symphony. I can be moved into joy with some incredible music. I have a bad day playlist. Every time I have a bad day, I have a playlist that I play. It gets me out of a bad day every single time. I think all of you should have one. Music can change you, and I don't know if I've ever read this, but God will sing over you. The voice of the one whose words said, let there be light, and there was. The voice of the one who said, come into being, and you did. The breath of the one that fills you will come out in a song and wash over you. And touch you deep within your soul. And heal that which needs to be healed. And move you into a beautiful place. This is what God is talking about. He will sing over you. And I don't know about you, but sometimes I struggle with a picture of God who actually cares. But this is a God, when we spend all of eternity, the future with God, what will happen is it's not we're going to be sitting around, bored, singing Chris Tomlin songs all the time, being repetitive and all that stuff, and everybody's dressed in a coral polo shirt and plaid, and uh, you know, plain front khakis. You know, That's not what it is. It's not just everybody's monotone and mono-ethnic. No, this is a multicultural, multi-ethnic, multi-layered thing where all the people are going to gather together. And yes, 
we're going to praise God for what He's done. But here's the deal, and the Bible declares this. He's also going to praise, uh, sing praise over you for what He did in you. Isn't that crazy? That's absolutely crazy to me. If God were to sing over me, I can't help but think that that would actually change everything. It would recreate everything inside of me. He continues, verse 18. And this is awesome. The sorrow for the appointed feast I will remove from you. They are a burden and a reproach to you. At that time I will deal with all who oppress you. I will scatter the lame and gather those who have been scattered, or rescue the lame and gather those who have been scattered. I will give them praise and honor in every land where they were put to shame. At that time I will gather you. At that time I will bring you home. I will give you honor and praise among all the peoples of the earth. And what he's talking about here is he's going to gather people into this thing that we call worship that has been oh so broken over the last, I don't know, thousands of years. That God's actually going to fix broken worship. No longer going to be left with festivals and Christmas and Easter, people who come to church on Christmas and Easter, we call them priesters, right? Like, no longer are you going to have that cycle. You're not going to have this burdensome, like, oh, i got to go to church on Sunday morning when I'd rather be at brunch. Like, no more of that. I mean, brunch is pretty legit, I'm just going to say. But no more, like... Oh, I, I mean, have you, you, have you had this? Have you had this struggle where you wake up on a Sunday morning and you ask yourself the question, do I really want to go? And to sometimes we have to actually like move ourselves out of bed to get here. And sometimes you can get here and you can be like, man, what a waste of my time. That's gone in this passage. No more of that battle. No more of that struggle. Because I think what's going to happen is God's going to fix worship so much and so well that there will be no more barrier between us and Him. There will be no more barrier between our desires and His desires. And what happens is we will be able to finally say, that was satisfying worship for all of eternity. And some of you know what I'm talking about because you've been to, not a church service, but a a worship experience where you, and maybe it was at a church service and maybe it wasn't. Maybe it was sometime where you're praying for friends or maybe it's around a campfire singing songs or maybe it's whatever it is. But you've been in these situations where you're going, yes, I feel close to God. Yes, I feel like I've been filled and I've been touched and I've heard from Him through the power of His Word. I've heard all these things. I've been filled. I know many of you have experienced that and that's what he's talking about is no more of this wow I did that and nothing changed when God comes to fix broken worship he comes to bring people close to help people see him to give them the fulfillment they've been longing for as they reach out to try to worship him that's what he's going to be doing so why is this important Why is this important? And I said it before, and I just don't want you to miss this point. I can't wait to fully and deeply know Jesus. To experience the love that God has as He sings over us and exalts in praise over what He's done in the world. I can't wait to experience that. And I had you look at that weirdo sitting next to you. 
I can't wait to experience that. You gotta, you can't miss this, guys. There's so much gathering and connectedness. I can't wait to get to do that with you. The person you are sitting next to, you get to spend all of eternity with. And the ones that we will often snub shoulders or snub, snub and walk away from because we're unwilling to rub shoulders with them, we will spend eternity with them too. You will spend eternity with each other. And what I want you to know is that this is what the end is all about. Revealing to us the God that we get to be with for all of eternity. Revealing to us why we were made. Revealing to us that connection we get to have with each other that begins here. We can experience a little bit of it, but it's so small and so much of a fraction. And then in the life to come, we get to experience fullness with God, fullness with each other. And I guarantee you there will not be a single person that will stand before God going, well, I wish I had brought a magazine because this is getting boring. But that's often how we think, isn't it? We live in this world, this very Disneyland. We don't suffer much. We have everything at our fingertips. In fact, we just experienced, right? We sold everything. um, Everything. We sold everything. Well, you know, the church had backup stuff for us because it was in the apartment, right? So we sold everything. We had a whole other set of stuff to replace the stuff that we had before. We didn't even notice it. Like, no no issue. That's the world we live in, where we don't want for anything. And because of that world, what happens is, we can sometimes think, man, God's going to take away all my special stuff. All my football games. All my baseball games. All my football games. <laughs> all of my cheeseburgers. All of my, you know, whatever it is. God's going to take that away. And we begin to actually dread, dread what it's going to look like to have pure, purified worship, to be fully connected with humans, to be fully connected with God, to remove all of the things that cause us fear and harm and war, to disable all the walls. We begin to dread that and think somehow that this place is better than that. Well, I'll tell you, on Tuesday, I do not think this place is better than that. And on Monday, I don't think that this place is better than that. But sometimes we can get it really twisted. So church, common ground, those who are visitors, you're part of the church. It's called Big C. Here we are at the end of this passage. I don't really know how to finish it off. Um, But to simply say what I've been saying over and over and over and over again for seven years. So the job of a pastor, I'm going to let you in on this. The job of a pastor is super simple. We just have to say the same thing every week differently. And apparently keep it entertaining. So I've been saying the same thing, same thing for seven years. I'm going to say it again. Follow Jesus to the end. Okay? Follow Jesus to the end. When you get to the end, when I get to the end, when we cross that finish line, I mean, that's a metaphor, but when we get to the end and we stand before Jesus, I do not want you to say, I have a little left to give. I don't want you to say, well, I would have given a little bit more, but you just didn't show up enough, God. I don't want you to say that. I want you to be able to, to stand before him and say, I left it <laughs> in the words of my football coach. No, not my football coach. My football coach. Uh, 
I left it all on the field. I left it all there. I didn't have an ounce left. I want you to be able to drop at the foot of the Savior, exhausted, saying, can I come home now? Because I'm done. i got nothing. And I don't want you to stand in front of him saying, yep, yeah, I could have I given more, I could have loved more, I could have worshipped more, I could have walked in faith a little harder. I want you guys to know that as you walk with Jesus, you will see Him. As you walk with Jesus, you will see Him. So follow Him to the end. Follow Him to the end. Follow Him to the end. And you, We get it twisted. Sometimes we think, man, I'll only follow Him if I can see Him. Here's the thing. He will show up and He does and it's pretty miraculous. But I will tell you, start following Him now and He will show Himself to you and you will experience Him. I want that for you so badly. Keep walking, keep trusting, keep leaning into Him, keep listening to what Jesus is saying as you serve this people and just watch what He does and praise Him across this world, okay? So I get the privilege of being able to pray for you. And uh, I love it. This is a great privilege. But I just want you to know, this doesn't stop anything. I will continue to tell you for the next rest of my life, in as many chances as I can, in as many ways as I can, follow Jesus to the end. You will not regret it. Jesus, um, (laughs) I don't have a lot left to give. Thank you for being the God who fills us back up. Pray for my friends here. Um, I pray that you would do something so powerful in their life and so mighty in their life and so crazy in their life that you will show them how incredible it is to follow you. In these moments of transition, and I've had many, in these moments of transition, everything gets to be a little bit clearer. And I get to see the fact that like... Without you, I know who I'd be without you. And I wouldn't have a beautiful family and I wouldn't have met this beautiful church. But because you moved and because you spoke life into being and because you sang over me, I got the privilege of being able to come here and do that. So we just lay it at your feet and ask that you give these guys your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. We hope you have been blessed. Please join us again at Common Ground Church.